Welcome to the High Volume Hiring Podcast. I'm Steven Rothberg, founder of College Recruiter Job Search Site. At College Recruiter, we believe that every student and recent grad deserves a great career. This podcast features news, tips, case studies, and interviews with the world's leading experts about the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to high volume hiring. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest is Chad Sowash. Many of our listeners will know him as the co-host of the Chad and Cheese podcast, but only very frequent listeners like me will also know that he served in the U.S. Army and Army Reserve and worked in a number of sales and veteran-related roles for organizations such as Monster, Direct Employers Association, Recruit Military, and Ronstadt SourceRite. Hey, Chad, welcome to the show. Hello. It must be an off week. You said you have experts on, so uh, I guess I'm just kind of like filling in. Well... We can pretend. We can pretend to be experts because we're not on TV and we have a face for radio, or I think I'm mixing up a couple of analogies there. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into the sort of the meat of the discussion, uh, which we're going to be talking a lot about military hiring today, uh, maybe you can help the listeners better understand some of the uh, experiences that you had? Like, what did you do in the military? Kind of how old were you? Because you still absolutely have like a a huge passion for it. It's very much sort of part of who you are. And that's why I thought you would be the perfect guest for this. Yeah, I I really appreciate you having me on, Stephen. When we're talking about military, and and we'll, we'll dig deeper into this, many individuals like myself uh, didn't do well in school. And the last thing we wanted to do was go back into school, into college, not to mention going to debt, right? So my, my, my parents uh, weren't going to be able to pay for college. So I was going to have to foot the bill. And if I was going to have to foot the bill, I sure as hell was not going to go straight after high school because I wasn't ready. And I knew I wasn't ready. So six days after I graduated high school, I was in, or at least on my way to a uh, boot camp uh, in the, in the army, uh, went through boot camp. They, well, so this is, this is a great year. So 1989, I graduated high school, graduated, uh, basic training, graduated AIT, which is our advanced individual training. And then I found myself dug into a hillside in Panama, taking AK 47 and, uh, mortar fire. So 1989 was one hell of a year for, for this cat. Was the Panama conflict. I'm trying to remember like which of them that was. Was that the Noriega one where we were blasting rock music at his mm-hmm. compound? And okay. Yep. Okay. Wow. Yep. Downtown in the jungles, downtown. I mean, we were all over the place. Nice. Wow. That's, you know, I knew, I knew you had served in Central America. I think there was a, a recent podcast where you and, and Joel Cheeseman, your co-host on the, the Chat and Cheese podcast, I think you kind of briefly mentioned that because he said something about overseas or something and you were like nah central american he's like yeah whatever yeah um but i didn't i didn't i don't think i knew the uh the details on that so you know you're not just somebody whose affiliation if you could call it that with the military comes from watching the history channel um you've served it um and then also if i'm not mistaken later in your career you were a drill sergeant too yeah that was actually my last job so i was in the reserves i did early uh, active duty time, first four years. Then when I came out, I thought, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going into corporate America, have a nice day. But I still had that yearning 
for the, the military, believe it or not. So I went into the to the reserves, did kind of like the, the the weekend warrior thing, which is what everybody likes to call it until uh, we get a war. And then we're actually in the thick of things just as much as active duty is. Uh, but yeah, in um, 2004, uh, for a, a year and a half, I was actually, uh, my, my main job was training as a, a, a infantry drill sergeant. So my, my, my place of duty was down in Fort Benning, Georgia. Uh, and then we had to go back in 2008 to 2009. So I spent two and a half years full time as a, uh, basic training infantry drill sergeant. I've, I've personally been through, uh, basic training now more than 10 times, uh, infantry <laughs> basic training more than 10 times. So anybody saying that, you know, Oh, I had to go through basic training. Okay. Well, that's not really not that big of a deal to me. Yeah. You, you, you call that Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess a lot of the soldiers that you helped train ended up serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, in many cases they went directly either to like ranger training or you know some advanced training, airborne training or what have you, and then they found themselves weeks after graduating uh, basic infantry basic, they found themselves over in the sandbox. And in many cases, uh, National Guard troops, we would actually get them where they had to graduate a couple of weeks early after we got out of um, our our last uh, our field training exercise, which is like one of our biggest tests. Uh, they, they would actually graduate early because they had their reserve and or guard units that were getting ready to mobilize to go. So, you know, it was, it, it was, it was very, it was very interesting not to mention, I mean, when you talk about training and you talk about a job, uh, you know, at that point that you're, you're training these individuals to go over and survive and to ensure that their, their, their buddies survive, right? They're going on the battlefield. So this is, it was, it was, um, an entirely different persona I had to take on. I was not the Chad that, you know, now I was entirely different cause I had to be. Oh, so, so you'd be likable. Uh, not so much. <laughs> I, I, had, I went into, I went into this persona that we called uh, God mode and I mean, you were all, I mean, it was, you could call it God mode or, or Trump mode. You're always right. You, 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 I mean, everything, right. You, the only thing different was that I was, I was physically fit, which you never saw from him. Uh, but it was one of those things where you had to be better. You had to be stronger. You had to be smarter and you just had to push yourself because if you didn't, then everybody around you could feel the impact and that, that could be dramatic on the battlefield. Yeah. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. So for the listeners who are wondering, like, what the heck does this have to do with high volume hiring? We're about to find out. So one of the things that I've been hearing you talk a fair amount about um, on on your podcast uh, is the idea of robots. So before we get into the how the military is and will use robots, let's first define what you mean by robots. And then if we can, we can branch out and talk about the applicability, those, the military, what that uh, is going to do to their enlistment uh, needs, et cetera. So what do you, when you talk about robots, what are you talking about? Uh, automation, you know, whether it's automation to be able to help humans do their job faster uh, or actual robots, drones, 
you know, in any type, any type of robot that could prospectively take a human's place on the battlefield, which we've seen. Uh, we've seen much more of that happening in the last, uh, heck, you know, 10 years than I think uh, that we even knew was happening. Yeah. So we're including things and definitely, you know, tear me a new hole if I'm, if I'm overstating things, but we're including things like self-service touch displays. Uh, you know, go into a restaurant and you, you, uh, McDonald's has a lot of them, for example. It's like, I want this burger. I want that soda, blah, blah, blah. Here's my payment. And then you walk up to the cashier and, you know, get your food. So, so you're including that type of automation when you're talking about robots and yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then also, yeah, drones, some of them are piloted. Um, I, as you know, I live in Minnesota right next door to us is, um, a big air force base in, in North Dakota. And a lot of the drones overseas are flown Mm. by pilots sitting in Grand Forks, North Dakota, which to me is bizarre, but I, I guess <laughs> physics has something to do with that. Um, yeah. But you're also talking about the, the robots like we see in Black Mirror. You know, they look like a dog and they're walking, but they've got, you know, some kind of rifle strapped to their back. Um, you're, you're talking about it at that level too. You're talking about, um, I suppose, like the wheeled kinds of vehicles that might go and deal with a, a an improvised explosive device in a house where they can kind of remotely um, manage that and steer that. Yeah, yeah, no question. I think I think, you know, before we start to see actual robot dogs or or, or any type of any type of robot on the actual battlefield um, replacing humans, we're going to see more of what we're seeing in Ukraine now. So we actually sent them uh, anti-personnel ma- mines, or not mines, uh, drones, anti-personnel drones, uh, anti-tank drones. And, and you can you can actually have a single person uh, engage platoons or battalions of individuals with these drones because they have a more of a swarm effect. So you can take out big, heavy, you know, multi-million dollar equipment like tanks, and then also uh, take out anti-personnel with these. So I think that's the, the first progression is to be able to, you know, slowly move our humans on the battlefield when we know it's safe because we have less of them because of recruiting. Um, but then also we start to roll out these these new robots that are drones that are land driven as opposed to in the air. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.
some of the video that I've seen from Ukraine where they have drones, yeah, there's an operator miles and miles behind the front lines um, in a relatively safe location. No, no place in Ukraine is safe, but some places are definitely much less safe than others. But they're remotely operating drones from miles and miles away. The drones will have basically grenades strapped to them. They'll fly hundreds or thousands of feet above the ground. They'll look for Russian trenches, tanks, trucks, etc. Drop a grenade. And, you know, if there are eight Russian soldiers there and you wound a couple of them, that takes out all eight because the other six are then going to need to take care for the two that were wounded or killed. And so what that does then is you've got one operator miles behind the front line, essentially taking the place of about eight frontline soldiers because that one operator is tying up eight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or, or, or even more, depending, depending on, you know, the, the arsenal that they have available to them. And, and one thing that I think is interesting, because I think we will see this start to happen on the corporate side as well, is we're seeing that the military is, is putting out a lot of these uh, articles saying that they can't meet recruiting deadlines. Well, whenever they can yeah. do that in the past, we heard advertising all over the place you could i mean all the all the army logos and songs and jingles and every they were everywhere but you're not seeing that now so my whole theory behind this is that they're getting ready to say look we don't have enough people to be able to provide for the national defense which is why we are moving to robots okay so so stick with me here i'm not saying this is malicious i'm just saying at the end of the day this is going to be easier uh, not to mention also from a PR standpoint to have less human beings uh, getting attacked on the battlefield. But when we right. take a look at the corporate side of the house, I see the exact same thing happening following this kind of template saying, oh, look, we can't, you know, we can't find individuals to do X, Y, Z. So therefore, we're going to automate. We can't give you what you need and you deserve. I can see Jeff Bezos doing this in a heartbeat as he burns through people um, because they have horrible turnover and whatnot. We need to be able to provide to you. So we're going to use this template and we're going to go full automation and try to get the humans out of um, out of those jobs, which, you know, to be quite frank, uh, those jobs suck uh, in, in many cases. Yeah. No, I I. I totally agree, and and I don't think that there's anything negative. I don't, I, I, I can't imagine that there are too many people who are all that concerned about a drone being shot out of the sky, you know, versus soldiers being wounded or killed. Um, especially when those soldiers that are being wounded or killed are on your side, maybe even members of your family. If you have to choose between somebody you know being under fire and some drone that's purchased for $100,000, the choice is pretty simple. And it scales better. I know you and I are both big believers in that. It's one thing if you're operating a corner retail store, is scale really important? No. But when you're enlisting hundreds of thousands, millions of people a year and having them stationed all over the globe, and it's an inherently dangerous occupation, call it robots, call it automation, but it's a good thing. Um, and I think it also helps, I think the military uses the expression force multiplier, right? You can, that you can make one soldier do the job of eight or, or more, like you say. So enlistment, um, one thing that we've seen at, at college recruiter is that 
the military branches are shifting their approach to their recruitment advertising. And I think this is your, to your point about we don't see the TV ads as much as we did just a few years ago. We don't see banner ads on random websites. We don't see um, Army logos on NASCAR vehicles um, like we did 10, 15 years ago. And I think that some of the military branches came under, um, well, figuratively speaking, a lot of fire. I think the Guard was one of them, where they were called before Congress and asked to explain the return on investment with some of that branding. And they literally could not trace a single enlistment to the millions of dollars that they were spending with some of those branding programs. Now, I'm, I'm a believer in branding, but you still have to be able to, to justify that spend, especially when, you, when it's the public's money and you know there's a decent chance that you're going to get called before, before Congress. Uh, it was astounding to me that that they didn't anticipate the question and have a better answer to it. But one thing that the military has been doing is that they've actually been running a lot more job posting ads. They're doing a lot of pay-per-click, a lot of pay-per-lead. It's stuff that isn't as splashy. It's more targeted. But I think that's also a function of, and, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, on the, the likelihood of reduced enlistment. If we're going to have robots, other types of automation, multiplying the impact of each soldier, you don't need as many soldiers. So inevitably, that means less enlistment. That means drill sergeants like you don't have as many, you know, fat idiots like me showing up. <laughs> and, um, you know, are you, what, what do you think we're going to see over the maybe the next you know couple of years, the next twenty years? Are you thinking you know maybe ten percent less enlistment? You know everything else being equal. Obviously, if we get into a big shooting match, everything changes. But yeah, I mean, how how significant? Because one one thing I'm I'm wondering. I mean, you know a lot more about this than I do. I'm I'm wondering if if this is a massive change that we're going to see in the next year or two, or if this is incremental that you and I are going to both be sitting in rocking chairs in, you know, God forbid, Florida, um, when, when this, ha uh, when this really kicks in, I will not be in Florida. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, when we take a look at, when we take a look at the military, one of the things that I being inside the machine, one of the things that I saw was that I saw that this was probably one of the best publicly funded programs in the world. And let me tell you why. There were so many kids that maybe like me, who really didn't had no path. Uh, they had many of them needed to lose forty pounds off their ass. Uh, they just had no mo they had no motivation, no momentum. They had nothing going in their favor. They come into the military. They got everything that they needed. They got discipline. They got training. You know, so many different things. I mean, I don't know how many twenty-ish year old kids came in that didn't know how to do their own laundry, for goodness sakes. So as we take a look at the actual public service, on we're turning these these perspective liabilities to society into assets, right? And I'm not just saying an asset from the standpoint of we can put them on the battlefield. I'm saying when they get out, they at least have that discipline, that focus, that motivation. And that helped me. It gave me a framework for business. My military experience gave me a great framework for business because our focus is troubleshooting and then going to problem solving. 
right? And you're working in a very fluid environment. There isn't a single answer. That's not how it works on the battlefield. So you have to be fluid, much like in business. There isn't always just one answer. So from my standpoint, yes, I can see where the 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 numbers will come down, and that'll and that can happen easily just with them spending less money because you know you have the, the the U.S. military spends more than the nine next uh, countries, right? Seven of them, seven of them being friendly countries. Uh, so we spend so much money, waste, fraud, and abuse. What can we do to actually focus on getting the right people in? And then again, you know, like it or not, we're going to we're going to move more toward mechanized soldiers and and, and drones. So, do you think that the changes? Do you think in the next couple of years we're going to see a massive change in the, in the desired enlistment numbers, or do you think this is going to be slow and incremental over decades? Yeah, it'll happen. It'll happen slowly. It'll happen slowly, but it will happen naturally as the military doesn't spend as much money in advertising to try to get humans into those slots. And, and one of the things I'd like to say is the military is probably the best recruiting machine in the world because the U S military, because of all the money, number one, but you've got to remember they do something that corporate America doesn't. They actually build talent pipelines. We talk about talent pipelines all the time in corporate America. We have no clue what that actually means. They bring out raw material, right? And they know where their skills gaps are or where their, their job gaps are, right? They train individuals to meet those gaps. Here in corporate America, what do we do? We sit back, we wait, and when the perfect individual doesn't show up, we say, oh, there's got to be a skills gap. Instead of actually going out, identifying what that gap is, and then starting to churn out individuals who fit perfectly into those positions. You can do that in college, much like the military does with ROTC or even, you know, the, the, the GI bill where they are, they are actually subsidizing, uh, the education, uh, or, I mean, whether that's in a university or in, you know, in the, uh, kind of like more technical sector. Right. Yeah. Anybody who's just focused on the corporate side of recruiting and wants to see what's around the corner, what's coming, look at the military. They, they, military has, military recruiting has always led corporate recruiting in, in the techniques, the, the messaging, the sophistication, the willingness, like you say, to train, you know, God, God forbid that we'd spend weeks training somebody we, you know, some, some on the corporate side would rather spend years complaining that we can't find people spend weeks training them. So, well, Chad, I, Thank you so much for joining us today on, on the High Volume Hiring Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. It's uh, I'll send you that big check that uh, I didn't promise you. Um, <laughs> this, is, this has been a co-production of Evergreen Podcasts, which also is the partner of the Chad and Cheese Podcast and a co-production of College Recruiter. Please subscribe for free on your favorite app. Recommend it to a couple people you know who want to learn more about how to hire the best people in dozens or even hundreds. A special thanks to our producer and engineer, Ian Douglas. I'm your host, Stephen Rothberg of Job Search Site College Recruiter. Each year, we help more than 7 million candidates find great new jobs. Our customers are primarily Fortune 1000 companies, government agencies, including every military branch, 
and other employers who hire at scale and advertise their jobs with us. You can reach me at steven at collegerecruiter.com. And Chad, if people want to reach you, what's the best way? Go to chadcheese.com and you can, there's the, the ability to reach out to us there or go to LinkedIn. I am the only Chad Sowash in the world currently. <laughs> and Sowash, for those who've been hiding under a rock, S O W A S H. Too easy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.